I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and this is my 82nd Sermon on the Biblical Design of Gender, in which my point is that God commands us to give ourselves to one another sacrificially, even as He gave His Son to us sacrificially. The emotion that we colloquially call love is our reward for giving ourselves. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this 10th day of July, a wonderful Lord's Day morning on which we are going to talk about our struggles with obeying the Word of God, especially when to do so is not exactly that which we wish to do. Our text for this discussion is in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark and the 22nd and 23rd verses which read as follows. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she might be healed, and she will live. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. And now, our gracious and heavenly Father, be pleased to please let us preach your word, not for fame or for reputation, but to the end that some might be made better, that some might benefit, that some might believe, and that some might be saved. We thank you, Lord, for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and we ask you, Lord, to allow him to feed us until we want no more. In the strong and perfect name, of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray amen now I thank you for being with me here today attending church to obtain the mind of Christ meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles we come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. At the conclusion of our last lesson, we listened to the account of Jesus healing the spirit of a sinning woman who brought the gifts of repentance to Jesus as Jesus sat at the table with a Pharisee who considered himself Jesus's equal. The woman recognized that she was a sinner. The Pharisee, on the other hand, neither recognized his sinfulness nor provided Jesus with the normal courtesy of the house. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 44 through 47, Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time 
I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. One mistaken notion that we human beings hold in this life is that since God has given us the ability to reason and make decisions, we are somehow God's equal. This error was the reason that the devil was able to tempt the woman into sin in the first place. In Genesis 3, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman was aware of God's warning to not eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil on pain of death, but the woman arrogantly assumed that her prerogative was equal to that of God and that she had the ability to evade the consequences of her decision despite the warning that God gave her. The devil exacerbated her arrogance by confirming her delusion that the only difference between her decision-making and that of God was that God had information that she did not. The woman was deluded into believing that once she acquired the missing information, she would be God's equal. And that arrogance is reborn in mankind every time an individual makes his or her way through the birth canal. The arrogance that tells us that we do not have to obey God is known biblically as the sin nature. Paul speaks of his struggles with his own personal sin nature in Romans chapter 7, verse 19 through 23. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In this passage of scripture, Paul describes the dichotomy, meaning division, between his two natures. His conscious volitional desire to obey the word of God the good that he wills to do versus his subconscious desire to do things his own way, the evil that he wills not to do, but does anyway. Now we all have this subconscious desire to ignore God and do things our own way. And we sin when we rationalize that God can be ignored with impunity and we allow our subconscious desires to become our conscious choice. Even Jesus Christ had to renounce his desire to do things his own way before he could die on the cross and become our savior, 
As Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 records, Jesus went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cup of which Jesus was speaking was his sacrifice on the cross. It was not Jesus' first choice to take on the agonies of Calvary. Jesus wanted to pass that cup of sorrow and grief to whomever else would or could take it. But Jesus made the conscious choice to obey God as he said, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The deference of Jesus' words is the crux of Christianity. God designed the world over which he gave us dominion, but he also gave us his words as instructions to follow so that we can exercise dominion successfully. It is our job to exercise dominion by humbly bending our will to God's will. It is a fact that we desire to seek our own goals rather than those of God. The devil has taken on the job of constantly tempting us to forsake the plan of God, even as he successfully tempted the woman in the garden. The devil has tried to tempt every single individual that has ever entered the earth realm. The devil even tried to tempt Jesus away from the cross by offering Jesus the chance to take part in a prosperity ministry. Matthew chapter 4 verse 8 and 9 records, Again the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan offered Jesus the opportunity to have worldly kingdoms, glory, and riches without going through the sacrifice that God commanded. But Jesus did not come to earth for worldly glory, for a worldly kingdom, or to promulgate a ministry based upon prosperity. Jesus came to earth to create an environment into which sinners, like the sinning woman, could come securely to repent of their sin. The woman became part of Jesus' crop, and she also provided Jesus with the chance to educate the proud Pharisee to the reality of the type of humble, repentant spirit that Jesus was seeking to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is repentance? Simply put, repentance is our acknowledgement that any decision that we make that does not match the instructions that the word of God has given us is wrong. Jesus forgave the woman of her sins as he will forgive any of us once we recognize the error of our ways and repent. And once we repent, we have a responsibility to grow in grace after our repentance. Jesus told the crowd a parable following his forgiveness of the woman in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 through 9. Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now his disciples did not understand the parable and asked Jesus to explain it. Jesus replied in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19 through 23, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. We have no problem obeying the word of God when we agree with God. At that point, we recognize that God's word is the instruction book for life. But Jesus in this parable is speaking to the main problem that we have with obeying the word of God which is obeying God when we are by the wayside or in a stony place or among thorns or even on good ground. The question is, how well do we obey the word of God when we don't understand it, meaning we don't agree with it, or when obeying the word of God will bring us tribulation or persecution, or when obeying the word will prevent us from having that which we want from this life in the world, including riches. A fictional example of the problem that obeying the word of God may cause us is chronicled in the struggles of the man who was the protagonist in the movie Fireproof. The man and his wife had fallen out and were considering divorce. But the man's father challenged him to perform an experiment, that being, to unilaterally treat his wife as though he loved her deeply for a period of 40 consecutive days, regardless of the disrespect with which she treated him. Ephesians 5.25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And this passage was the scriptural basis for the challenge that the man's father gave him. On the initial day of the experiment, the young man bought his wife flowers in a half-hearted effort to be nice, 
but his wife recognized his effort as half-hearted and treated it with scorn. After his wife's response, the young man was ready to declare the experiment a failure, but his father pointed out the fact that, by his own agreement, he had 39 more days to go. And as the young man continued with his experiment, he improved his half-hearted attempts to act lovingly toward his wife. And in spite of her initial hostility, his wife eventually recognized that he was behaving more lovingly. Her curiosity led her to investigate the situation to find and then read the instructions for the 40-day experiment contained in the book that the man's father had given him. His wife then confronted him about his experiment, asking him which day of the 40 days he was currently on. The man responded that he was on day 43 because he had been transformed by pretending to love his wife so that he was actually in love with her. And after the man found out that his wife knew that which he was doing, he made a gesture of goodwill to his wife anonymously, the kindness of which was only exceeded by the extravagance of it. Initially, the wife thought that the gesture had been made by the man that she was seeing behind her husband's back. But eventually, the man's wife found out the truth and connected the extravagant gesture to her husband. And when she realized that which her husband had sacrificed for her, she finally recognized his love for her and returned wholeheartedly to their marriage because the combination of the extravagant gesture along with his 40 plus days of benevolence toward her proved to her that he truly loved her. But the marriage was only saved because the man had the discipline to not give up until and even after the allotted time period was over. Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The fact that Jesus commands us to love teaches us that love is not an emotion. Love is a series of actions that we perform for one another, emotion notwithstanding. When John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, it does not mean that God had a positive emotional feeling for each and every human being on the planet. It does mean that God sent Jesus Christ to die for the benefit of each and every human being on the planet that chooses to acknowledge his sacrifice. That, my friends, is action, not emotion. God does not command us to feel an emotion. God commands us to act to give ourselves to one another sacrificially, even as he gave his son to us sacrificially. The emotion that we colloquially call love 
is the reward that we receive for giving ourselves after we have done so. And the more that you want to love someone, the more that you have to give yourself to them. Love is nothing more than following the Lord's instructions in a disciplined manner. The protagonist in Fireproof disciplined himself. He grew in his love for his wife daily, but he did not actually see the fruit of his labor until the allotted time period was over. But loving disciples of the Lord cannot be clock watchers. As a wise man once told me, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in the end of your rope and hang on. Wait and see what the end is going to be. Another old saint used to say of God, he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. The problem that we have is that we can predict neither the day nor the hour in which the Lord will bring us the fruits of our labor. And so we have to hang on to one another until he shows up. Which is that which the female protagonist in our second biblical episode of the day did. Mark chapter 5 verse 25 and 26 tells us, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Doing her due diligence with the practitioners of the medical profession did this woman no good. Medical science, like every other kind of science, can only examine that which God has created and endeavor to restore that God created to its original design. Medicine, like every other science, cannot create conditions, but can only use that which God has already created in the benevolent manner that God intended it to be used. In our scientific generation, Surgeons can transplant organs, but no surgeon can spontaneously create or cure a defective organ. A doctor may be able to develop the specifications for an environment in which an organ can regenerate. That is to say, the doctor can prescribe medicine or tell you to lose weight or otherwise change your environment so that your organs can regenerate. But other than recommending the regenerative environment, the doctor has no power to actually fix anything. As the woman found out for 12 years. I twice had knee surgery after I tore tendons playing basketball. In both cases, the doctor cut the skin over my kneecap, exposed the torn ends of the tendon, sewed them together, and then closed my knee with more stitching. After he completed the surgery, the doctor sent me home to wait for six weeks to see if the ends that he sewed together actually grew back together into one piece. But during those six weeks that I waited, neither I nor the doctor could do anything to make the torn tendon grow. We both had the same volitional ability, that being to wait and see what the end 
was going to be. But the woman with the flow of blood was listening as the mother and father that were the protagonists in the first episode that captures our attention spoke to Jesus. Mark chapter 5 verse 22 through 24 records, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The synagogue ruler had faith that Jesus could heal the sick and raise the dead, and by heal, I do not mean that Jesus recommended environments for sick people as physicians do. Jesus actually healed, meaning that Jesus supernaturally changed the physical condition of sick people's ailing organs by returning them to their original design. The synagogue ruler did not come to Jesus for a consultation, a prescription, or a surgery. The synagogue ruler came to Jesus for healing. And as Mark 5:24 tells us, there was a great multitude following Jesus and the synagogue ruler to see Jesus perform yet another miracle, this time on the synagogue ruler's daughter. But the woman that was bleeding had a different agenda than the multitude. Although the woman did not want to interrupt Jesus's mission to heal the girl who was at the point of death, she did want her own personal healing. After considering the situation, she concluded that since Jesus had healed many people by just touching them, she might be able to access Jesus' healing power by touching him. Mark chapter 5, verse 27 and 28 tells us, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. The woman was anticipating a healing that did not involve a medical procedure, a prescription, or a course of physical therapy. She had faith that by touching Jesus, her internal physique would be restored to his original design, and the untoward bleeding that she had been experiencing for 12 years would come to a halt. And her anticipation came to pass. As Mark chapter 5 verse 29 tells us, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Although the woman received the outcome for which she hoped and that she expected, she did not anticipate that which Jesus did in response to her touching him. Mark chapter 5, verse 32-32 records, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see her who had done this thing. When we stick a power cord into an electrical socket, we do not anticipate that the socket will ask us that which we are doing. 
The woman had faith in the power of Jesus, but she did not anticipate the recognition that would come from her accessing his power, especially since Jesus was on his way to heal a sick child. But when Jesus turned his head and looked directly at the woman, she was compelled to speak. Luke chapter 8 verse 47 records, Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Jesus, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. The woman had faith in the power of Jesus Christ and her faith was rewarded with a healing. The question that we need to ask ourselves is whether or not we actually have enough faith in Jesus Christ to access him personally. Are we willing to have enough faith in that which the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ to conform our lives to him? Are we willing to forsake the scientific or psychological prescriptions of the world as did the woman? Press through the crowd of immoral, unbelieving, anti-Christian thoughts and actually touch the powerful presence of the Prince of Peace and allow ourselves to be changed as was the woman and as was the man that gave himself to the 40-day challenge. In order for our faith in Jesus Christ to actually be functional, we must do more than simply believe in Jesus Christ's existence. James chapter 2, verse 19 tells us, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The devil believes in the existence of Jesus Christ. Christ. Many religions that refuse to align themselves with Jesus Christ believe in his existence. Both the Jews and the Muslims believe that the man Jesus Christ existed on this earth. They deny Jesus' divinity and power, but they believe in his existence and even in his holiness to some degree. In their estimation, Jesus was a prophet, a rabbi, or a holy man. And although they intellectually assent to the historical fact that Jesus Christ was a real person and did the things that the Bible records of him, they refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the sinless Son of God who died on the cross that our sins can be forgiven and that rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday morning that we might recognize that which he did for us and take advantage of his power by touching the hem of his garment. But the woman pressed through the crowd of those that doubted Jesus' divinity, even as they believed in his existence, of the hangers-on, of the curiosity seekers, and the thrill seekers, in order to reach Jesus and in so doing, the woman had her situation changed. The man that loved his wife for 40 days in obedience to the scripture saw his situation change. And we can see our situations change. The power of which Jesus Christ speaks actually exists. But we have to press through the crowd of our thoughts as did the woman. We have to overcome the feelings of discomfort that we receive 
when the devil whispers in our ear that acting in a loving fashion is foolish and that by sacrificing ourselves, our spouse is getting over on us. We have to make a commitment to acting in a loving fashion regardless of that which the devil and our emotions tell us. We have to sacrificially do those things for one another that we know will please the other and we have to rise every morning with the intention of treating our beloved as though we love them intensely. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 and 14, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The woman pressed despite the crowd, despite her own doubts, and despite her own embarrassment, and received that which she sought from the Lord. The man pressed despite his wife's rejection, despite his wife's rebuff, despite his wife's coldness, and received that which he sought from the Lord. And although the woman interrupted Jesus' journey to Jairus' daughter, Jesus was able to deal with the sickness that took the little girl's life. Mark chapter 5 verse 35 tells us, While Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus encouraged Jairus and his wife to have faith. Jesus, Jairus, and the multitude continued the trip to Jairus' house. Mark chapter 5, verse 39 and 40 tells us, When Jesus came into Jairus' house, he said to the mourners, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when Jesus had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. You see, Jesus Christ is the real deal. Jesus Christ is God, who is our creator and is not constrained by the mundane concerns of surgeons, doctors, and pharmacists. Jesus Christ does not just change a person's physical condition so that their body can regenerate itself. Jesus Christ actually has the power to heal, to restore that which is not working properly in the body to its original state. And Jesus proved his power to those that were there. Mark chapter 5 verse 41 through 43 records, Then Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But Jesus commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Of course, the people could not obey Jesus' command in this matter, because the people knew for a fact that the girl was dead. She had been pronounced dead by medical professionals that knew the nature of death 
having attended many people that died, were buried, and never again seen in an active state. The mourners had been called, and the synagogue had been alerted, because Jairus was not some anonymous person, but was one of the rulers of the synagogue. Jairus' daughter re-entered the community after her encounter with Jesus, and, as Matthew chapter 9, verse 26 tells us, and the report of this went out into all that land. And the report was necessary because men can only be saved as they come to the knowledge of the power of Jesus Christ. Only the power of Jesus Christ working in our lives can transform us, fill us with the Holy Spirit, and take away the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed. As John 3:16 and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus raised the little girl from the dead. Jesus healed the woman. Jesus restored the marriage of the obedient husband. God gives us dominion over the earth, but God also gives us Jesus Christ, not to condemn us, but to correct the problems that we cause by our disobedience. God gives us Jesus Christ as our master teacher, but also as the one that can restore us when we are broken, the one that can correct us when we are wrong, and the one that can turn us around and plant our feet on solid ground. We have to acknowledge our need for Jesus Christ to be saved. Many want to be self-sufficient. Many want to be scoffers. And many want to be unbelievers. But to be a follower of Christ and gain everlasting life, we have to recognize that Jesus Christ is the only one that has the power to enable us to please God. Once we recognize the love that Jesus Christ demonstrates for us, we can then please God by emulating that love in our interactions with one another. Jesus Christ only came to save us because of his love for us. And his love is shown in action, not in emotion, but by his sacrifice on the cross by his declaration to God, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus wants us to emulate his example, as did the man in fireproof that sacrificially gave his love to his wife. So let us love one another, whether or not we feel the emotion, by word and deed, even as Jesus has loved us, because God willed that he do so. Let us do the right thing, the loving thing, the Christian thing to one another, especially to those with whom we have taken vows before God. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson and we ask you, Lord, that you would give us the fortitude of the man that lasted on his experiment for over 40 days of the woman that pressed through the crowd 
to get to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment, and of Jairus and his wife, who persevered even though they received the report that their daughter died physically. They persevered with Jesus and allowed him the opportunity to raise her from the dead. We ask you, Lord, that you would put your laws in our minds and give us the focus that we might be able to follow those laws with a long-term view, not toward a short-term gain, but for a long-term profit, a profit large enough that we can retire on it when we leave this life and go to the next one. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today, and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.